How are we doing on our homework? Raise your hand if you finished the Gospel of Mark. Great. All right, those of you who haven't finished, how far are we along? Oh, he's going to get specific. I told you two weeks ago, read the Gospel of Mark. If you weren't here two weeks ago, you're a little bit off the hook. I believe the Gospel of Mark should take you about an hour and a half. The joy of reading it all together is in worship you often get four verses at a time. And so you don't get the same flavor as reading the story. And what I want, here's my intent. So be very transparent, put my cards on the table. I want you to read the Gospel of Mark so that I can make you read either Matthew or Luke, either one. Not, you don't have to do both, but if you can, that'd be great. And then I want you to read the Gospel of John, and I want you to go, oh my gosh, the Gospel of John isn't even close to. You'll read Mark, and you'll read either Matthew or Luke, and you go, that's a lot like Mark. And then you'll read John, and you go, it's not anything like either one of those. And then I get to actually preach about the Gospel of John to folks who understand what I'm trying to say. Okay, so homework makes a difference, growing your spiritual life. I can't force you to read it unless I use a couple of weeks of worship and just read to you. I'm thinking that the best way to do this is to get you in here on some Sunday morning, lock the doors, (laughs) and read through the Gospels and not let you leave until you've heard all the Gospels. What do you think? Yeah, I know. You don't, you don't believe I'll do it. I, I do think it's very important for us to read and from a, from a modern translation to read for ourselves what it says so you can listen to the preacher and go, I read that this way. And there are times when you read it a second or third time and you go, I read it differently the last time. I think there's some real genius in the, in the gospel message that gives us a new message at a different place in our life. And so reading the Gospels is always a good thing in my mind. So um, do your homework or else, I don't know, we'll put some kind of penalty in. Uh, This month, as is our tradition here at Coronado United Methodist Church, is Stewardship Month, which means I once again get to talk to you about a subject you you love to have the preacher talk about, money. We don't like talking about that with our family. We, we've got all kinds of interesting dynamics related to money. But m- here's why I think it's important for me to talk to you about money, because inside the church, it's not about money. It's about your faith life. And f- your faith life is the t- is sho- shows up in the world by how you give your time and your service and how you give your resources to make God's thing happen. It shows how much we love and care for God. Now, I realize that there are times in our lives when money is a tough thing to give up. I actually think that if I had not tithed all of my life, that I could retire now. So there are consequences. But I'm gonna, I want to talk to you about money. I want to say up front, money is neither good nor evil. It can be used for great good, and it can be as addictive as sugar or heroin or whatever it is that you crave. 
Over the next few weeks, we'll be thinking about the teachings of the Bible on money. And my hope is that I can speak, and you can hear me speak about money as an important part of your relationship with God. My real intent is not about funding church things. It's about your relationship with God. My passion is people being changed from who they were to who God wants them to be. And I think if we can think carefully and patiently in our conversation about money, we can actually let it be part of that helps us get closer to God as opposed to stands between us and God. It's not that God needs money. If God needed money, he could just make more gold. It's that God wants us. And sometimes money pulls us away from God. All of us, I think, I don't think I'm being too presumptuous, all of us know or know of persons who have traded their life for riches. Maybe you've known somebody who worked just unbelievable hours and didn't watch their kids grow up. Maybe you know somebody who, in the midst of going through a divorce, hid a bunch of resources just to hold on to money as opposed to being fair to somebody that they once said they loved. The desire for money can make us do some amazing things that test our character and our values. We have examples in our daily lives that human beings can sometimes love money more than life. My wife loves these shows. It's this show called Snapped. Have you ever watched the show Snapped? It's about women who often kill their husbands. I'm not kidding. And sometimes it's a preacher's wife. And every once in a while you'll hear about Somebody trying to hire a hitman for less than $5,000. That a life is reduced to thousands of dollars rather than millions of dollars. So, we have examples that human beings can reduce the value of life to be less than the value of money. Somewhere in the Ten Commandments, there's one of those that specifically reminds us of the pitfalls of money and stuff. How does that one go? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbors, and then it includes a list. I I, kind of wonder what it would be like if God was aiming that one directly at us. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's brand new cell phone. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's stuff. Why? Because God doesn't want us living our lives, looking over our shoulder at somebody else, wishing we were living their life. Today we'll be able to watch on the television millions of dollars for an advertisement in the Super Bowl. It sure is a good thing that somebody can tell us what we need. I'm not sure I can be more sarcastic than that, so that's you got to catch that. We need food and shelter and clean water and clothing. 
We need a heat source in the cold. Not too many things. Food, shelter, clean water, clothing. Am I missing something? Heat during the cold? I know that we want air conditioning. And we want all kinds of other things. And the Bible keeps encouraging us to live a fairly simple life. I wish that I had the courage to have just the same set of clothes I wore every day. Not the same exact pair of pants, but the same pair of pants, eight of them, so that I could just not make a decision about clothes. For me, clothes is like, oh my gosh, what am I going to wear today? And what am I going to wear that somebody else is going to comment on? I have somebody every Sunday morning who looks me up and down and tells me how I'm doing in terms of how I'm dressed. But I don't have that kind of courage. Trying to live a simple life when we're bombarded for, so I know the craving. If we're not careful, we get sucked into this gravity of wanting more and more and more. There's always something else to want. There's always more that we wish we had. But Scripture from its earliest sources to the last keeps reminding us not to get lost in this endless cycle of wanting more. Paul and Jesus both call us to a life of contentment, not craving. What is hard for us? What is hard for you? What do you crave? What do you want? Anybody want to share what they crave? Cookies? Anybody can't make it past the shoe store? I don't have a craving for shoes. Uh, so raise your hand in the back. Dark chocolate. Chocolate's a tough one, isn't it? Anybody else crave chocolate? Ice cream. Wow. <laughs> we just got <laughs> ice cream and chocolate. All right. What? Ooh, warm bread, which, which for me sometimes is just a vehicle for more butter. So bacon and butter might call my name pretty well. Uh, part, of, part of, I think, this sermon series has got to uh, spend some time talking about time and how we use that resource. But getting lost in that craving, I never have enough time. In that moment, we are not content. Where do we find peace in all this? If we are never satisfied with life, when we are craving things, how are we ever going to be at peace? There is a inner battle, a very human battle of contentment versus craving, of wanting more versus being content with enough, more versus enough, abundance versus scarcity. This passage from Paul reminds Timothy that unconditional love of money takes us off track. It puts us in a comparison trap where we judge ourselves and others based on our income, our wealth, or our stuff. I think it fits here that Jesus reminded the rich young ruler to keep his priorities. When the rich young ruler says, I've obeyed all these rules, he skips a couple of the Ten Commandments. 
the ones that connect him to God, he skips. And God's and and the teacher says, you got to give up on those things that you are trapped by. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard remind us that God's economy is about love and grace and relationship. Jesus reminds us that we can only have one top priority. You can only serve one master, right? And, and in that particular instance, Jesus uses the example of a priority of wealth or relationship with God. I think it's important for all of us to hear that Jesus and Paul do not condemn wealth. The fact is that God often offers this blessing of great wealth to those folks. He also matches up with the spiritual gift of generosity. And the way we see God come through the wealth is generosity, giving, allowing those resources to be a tool to accomplish a higher purpose, a life worth living kind of purpose, a God-sized purpose. This sermon series that we're going to do during September, I want to talk about being on purpose, doing on purpose, using our time for a different kind of purpose. No matter who you are and how much you have, God wants you. Your time and your energy and your money. God has chosen to use us. God uses you and loves through you. I believe for each and every one of us that our lives are God's purpose and part of God's plan. So when I talk about giving, I believe it's so that we can be unconditional love of God in the world, that the kingdom of God comes through, in part, the way we give. Today is Groundhog Day. It's one of my favorite movies. Did you, do you, any of you see the movie Groundhog Day? All right, so let's see if I can explain enough of it in a short enough amount of time that we don't feel any kind of rush. Um, Groundhog Day is a movie about a weatherman who is pretty into himself. Am I right? Is that the, a good way to put it? Um, and he gets assigned this go to Puck's, Punxsutawney to watch the groundhog come up and do the reporting from it. And he does it, and he does it with such callousness that the folks around him just realize he is uh, obnoxious is what I'm going to say. And he keeps waking up to the same day, Groundhog Day, over and over and over and over and over and over. And at the beginning of it, he figures out ways to use it to his best ability. One day he sits at the diner and he has ordered everything sugary and and just sits there and is just the ultimate glutton, eating absolutely everything. It's no effect. I'm going to live the same day over again. It's not like the doctor's going to say my blood sugar was too high or my cholesterol was too high. So I can just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. Self-indulgent. Another thing he does is he figures out the routine for the, um, the truck that comes to pick up the money from the bank, the armored truck. And he counts it off, and the wind goes by, and so-and-so says this, and so-and-so does. And he walks up to the back of the truck, and he takes a big bag of money. So in the first, I don't know, 20 or 30 repeats of the day, it's all about what he can do for himself. He tries to get the girl. He tries to and, and callously get the girl. He tries to um, eat and 
it's all about money and eating and getting the girl. But after going through the same day over and over and over, he starts to shift. He starts to change. And no longer is it about uh, standing by the armored car to get the money, but he is uh, taking a homeless man to dinner so that he doesn't die on Groundhog's Day every day of his days. And all of a sudden, you see him starting to do things for the sake of others. He ends up pulling up to a car. I think it's four older ladies in a car have a flat, right? And he he's just happens to be right there when they have the flat. They come to a complete stop. He sticks the jack under the car. I got this. He buys a concert tickets for a young couple that just got married and who were having cold feet. He saves somebody with a Heimlich. I mean, he walks into the, the restaurant, gives a Heimlich maneuver to somebody, and then kind of leaves. And everything he does is outward focused. He tries to save, essentially, save the town with every action he does until finally he gets to live a different day. I think that's kind of like our spiritual life and our spiritual life of giving. When we do things thinking, if I give now, God's going to make me win lotto, we may be missing the point. But if I give now and realize the story I can tell about clean water here or people being able to have their lives changed at the hospitality house or people are fed on Mondays for colors of hunger, or the boys and girls. I mean, the list of things that we do in ministry because of the service and the resources of Coronado Community United Methodist Church is a big deal. And we get to be the love of God in the world in a lot of different places. And that's because we give for a higher purpose. We give on purpose. It's not about me getting money back. It's not a deposit. It's a me giving myself away kind of thing that kind of reminds us of somebody else who just gave himself away. God doesn't want or God doesn't need our money. God wants us. And sometimes our stuff or our egos, or our money gets in the way and pulls us away from God, and we forget about God for courses of time. No matter who you are and how much you have, God wants you, wants part of your time, part of your energy, part of your money. God has chosen to use us, to use Coronado Community United Methodist Church to make a difference in New Smyrna Beach and other places on the globe. God uses you and loves through you. Some people will only know about God's love because of something we do or you do. I believe our lives are lived out as God's purpose and plan. Let us pray. So gracious God, allow us to live on purpose. To find a way to give just the right part of us and just the right amount of us in a way that allows us to be filled with joy, to be transformed into a new kind of life. 
a life filled with love and joy and gratitude and abundance. Help us to push back against the fear of not having enough or wanting and craving so much that it distracts us from being connected to each other and to you. We love you, and we are grateful that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray.